0: Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, industry's big questions about CMMC. What am I gonna do
1: to pass this thing? What's it gonna cost me to pass this thing? And oh yeah, by the way, if I don't pass this thing, what's it gonna cost me? Not only in terms of attempting to pass it,
0: but also in terms of business. Am I suspended? Time to get excited about the next year in
2: security. This is gonna be a super fun time. because It's gonna combine artificial intelligence, automation, visualization and now the tools that really let you probe and see your network in real time while it's operating.
0: And managing your Thrift Savings Plan account is coming right to your hand. You
3: will have the ability to do the transfers if you want to do an Interfund transfer, if you want to do any of that sort of thing, you can do that. You will have much greater access through the app to be able to manage your account.
0: It's Friday, February 25th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government, I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Research and development contractors are spotty at securing Defense Department-controlled unclassified information, according to the Pentagon's Inspector General's Office. An audit finds problems with multi-factor authentication, encryption, and other issues. The Inspector General's Office recommends contracting officers make independent compliance verifications for handling CUI. The Office of Personnel Management has a new Chief Information Security Officer. James Saunders joined OPM last April as a Senior Advisor for Cloud and Cybersecurity. He was CISO at the Small Business Administration before that. You can read more on these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. The lineup for IT Mod Week next week is loaded with stars. Government leaders like Congressman Jerry Connolly, the administrator of GSA, Robin Carnahan, and loads of chief information officers and other tech leaders will talk and participate in events. IT Mod Week starts Monday, runs all next week. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at TheDailyScoopPodcast.com. Voluntary cyber assessments are coming for vendors in the defense industrial base. The chief executive of the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Board, Matthew Travis, said the board has feedback now from the Defense Department on its assessment process guide. Ron Marks is president of ZPN Cyber and National Security Strategies. He's non-resident senior fellow at the Scowcroft Center for Strategy and Security at the Atlantic Council. He's former special assistant to the assistant director of Central Intelligence for Military Affairs. Ron, welcome. Thanks, as always, for coming on the program. Um, what do you see when you look through what the CMMC is producing and the implications that it's having for the defense industrial base? Welcome.
1: Well, I think, I think moving to that 2.0 sent a signal to almost everybody, which is, okay, we need to take a careful look at this, that what was happening before obviously wasn't working. Uh, the shift from acquisition uh, over to John Sherman and the CIO's office was also an indicator that this thing needed to be brought under DOD control, uh, the idea that you shifted from five levels to three levels of this, looking at uh, sensitive but you know classified, the usual kinds of sort of lower grade classifications for for these companies, who are often smaller companies, um, I think that indicates a great amount of sensitivity at this point within the DoD shops, certainly within the CIO shops. Saying, look, we got to get a handle on this. Um, You know, the the DFARS is yet to be dealt with in this. That's a review that needs to take place. So I I think what you're seeing right now, and and I know CMMCAB is is pushing forward hard in terms of beginning the process uh, of doing some of the initial uh, kinds of audits. But even that right now, I suspect... uh, You know, again, the private sector is a little cherry right now until all the rules get laid out.
0: Yeah. What's the private sector need right now, do you think, from the CMMC board to understand what they're supposed to do next or what they need to do next?
1: I I think so far we haven't seen the kind of specifics that you need to have. What am I going to do to pass this thing? What's it going to cost me to pass this thing? And oh, yeah, by the way, if I don't pass this thing, what's it going to cost me? Not only in terms of attempting to pass it, but also in terms of business. Am I suspended? Uh, am I, you know, suddenly put on a blacklist of one form or another, which means that how long is it going to take me to get back in? You know, it's really the practical things of running a business. And, you know, again, it's one of those moments where, where government logic runs into business logic. And, you know, it can be fine for the government to lay out three layers. and fine to talk about the audits, uh, qualifying people for audits. Uh, There's some definitional problems there in terms of I I know what they're talking about in terms of training. That's not a problem. The problem is going to be what happens if you get guys in the field who aren't good? You know, do the companies have some kind of a recourse on this to say, well, wait a minute, this guy was, you know, was no good. Are you dealing with something that is the equivalent of an IRS auditor? You know, which in which you will have some kind of an appeals process. IRS doesn't do badly at that. I mean, poor guys are overwhelmed right now, but still, is that the process you've got going here? There's a lot of there's a lot of loose ends hanging up, but the bottom line remains, I think, for the private sector, certainly for people that I'm talking to, is what's this thing gonna cost me? Yeah. And if it's gonna cost the same thing for you know a larger company as a smaller company, and these smaller companies are are you know are are working away as it is, they don't have necessarily have great margins. So I think that that's an explanation that needs to come. I also think, frankly, I think the CIO shop is taking a very careful look at what this is. Um, you know, again, I don't sense a tremendous rush out of them uh, in terms of doing this. I, you know, I've heard numbers from nine to 24 months and you know, all this kind of stuff. I, I never know what to make out of that. But, you know, they've got to look at it in terms of DFAR. They've got to look at it in terms of matching it off with other security within DOD. You know, DCSA has their own thing going. Uh, If, by the way, if these companies are dealing with uh, DOE, DOE's got its own thing going. So there's a lot of mix and match here. And I think, you know, this is one of those examples where you really need where I'm happy to see John Sherman and I'm happy to see the CIO shop because you need that level uh, of oversight to make this thing to work. Because, you know, frankly, it is needed. Mm -hmm. Um, We do have threats. Uh, I just got the Shields Up memo. Uh, Someone who loves Star Trek over at DHS put the Shields Up memo out uh, for attacks from Russia. All right, that's perfectly sensible, and we we need to do that. But that system has got to be better delineated and helping people understand what it costs.
0: Yeah, the good news and the bad news, I guess, about this concept is nobody, I think, disagrees that the point of CMMC is necessary and desirable. I think everybody understands there should be a standard by which the department can evaluate how its vendors are securing their systems and thereby will uh, be able to have secure interactions with the Defense Department systems. And, And I think that's the point at which you lose everybody, isn't it, about how you go about doing that?
1: Yes, I, I, I would compare it, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be careful not to compare it too much to religion, but, you know, there's a difference <laughs> between the Ten Commandments and how you enforce the Ten Commandments. That's right. And I think that's the, you know, everybody agrees, good idea. Uh, but when it comes right down to the execution on this thing, you know, I mean, the devil is always in the details. And this is a devil in which the the, the main sticking point is going to be time and cost. You know, the government looks at time and cost differently than the private sector looks at time and cost. And when you talk to the private sector, like I said, they want definition, but as they get into this thing, if this starts, you know, costing them real money, um, you know, there's not going to discourage people from doing business with DOD ultimately, because that's a big cash cow. But, you know, people will think, you know, carefully about what they offer and, you know, whether or not they want to be necessarily, uh, you know, dealing with raising themselves up, for instance, from level one to level two to level three, how much is that going to cost? And what kind of time is that going to take? And I, I, just, I just think right now that, you know, again, the devil's in the details. I will be curious, um, you know, within a month or two, where, the, where John Sherman and the CIO guys are uh, in this process. I know CMM ABC is sort of beating the drum and they're out there and they want things to, you know, want things to work. Um, but, you know, again, I, I think they may be getting a little ahead of themselves at this point Uh, because I think you have to have a unified message. And so far, I don't think you're getting that.
0: You raise an interesting point, uh, Ron, saying the department and industry look at time and cost differently. Is it feasible to get the department to look at time and cost the same way industry does, or to get industry to look at time and cost the way the department does, at least for the purposes of this process? Or is that just a fool's errand?
1: Well, I... (laughs) You know, I've spent 25 years of my life now. Well, it's, it's since 1999. So I haven't only really knows you know, 23 years, I guess, of my life translating government, business, English into government, into business, business, English. And it is a translation. Yeah. And, you know, again, one, as you know, one of the fundamentals, your government is based on a year time to burn off money. And you've got, you know, it's the exact opposite of what a company faces which is that you know, you're know, you trying not to burn off money, and you're trying to keep the expenses down, and you're judged by increased revenue. So it is two different cultures. And people, I think, understand on both sides um, to some extent, but there's a difference between having a feeling for it and actually knowing what it is. And while you do have you know transfers back and forth in people who, well, like myself, who served in government and then went to the private sector or vice versa, um, you know, it's it's hard when you push that, try to push that through that system so that people understand it, because there's a, there's always a bit of a pushback from the government saying, well, look, you know, this is our money. And, you know, as we spend it, we want it done according to our, you know, desires. And the private sector, of course, never wants to say no to that money if they can help it. Um, well, that's not quite true when you get to this stuff, because this is really cutting off their bottom line and it's coming right out of their right out of their revenues. It's a cost. And if you're going to do that and you can't, for instance, mark up that price uh, and pass that price on to the government. And by the way, it is going to get passed on to the government one way or another. Um, you know, you you really have two groups sort of talking past each other. Uh, or it's a it's a version of the child's game battleship where you've got, you know, one guy on one side putting a peg in and another guy on another putting a peg in. And, you know, guys like me were standing on the outside of the board saying, look, this is what they're, they're going to try to do. Um, you know, I don't think it's impossible, but it's it's going to be an awkward system um, to begin with and it has to be a coordinated system. You know, again, I, I'm dealing with clients. So I'm dealing with people who are saying, well, wait a minute, I got, you know, one group saying this one thing over here. Uh, i've got guys in commerce department saying something else Uh, i got guys over at energy saying something else you know what am i supposed to do and it's you know again it's not don't do it they understand it Uh, i'll give dhs their credit uh cisa their credit for getting pounding the table and getting the word out you know there's a problem here and they know there's a problem here they the private sector but you know how you effectively deal with that with this system if this system is going to be the one that ultimately works to do that I'm still a little skeptical about it. And until we get some kind of a clarity of understanding of, of cost and time and appeal. And, you know, like I said, the devil's in the details and the details aren't there
0: yet. Ron Marks. Great to have you on the program as always. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Francis. You can read more about CMMC in today's show notes at TheDailyScoopPodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of The Daily Scoop Podcast. Coming on Monday's show, a look at ID management at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. The CIO there, Mittal Desai, is on Monday's Daily Scoop Podcast. It debuts Monday afternoon at FedScoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Department of the Navy is outlining its transition from a defense-in-depth network security posture to a zero-trust strategy. Navy officials say one of their pain points in the transition will be the culture shift. Terry Halverson is general manager for the federal market for IBM. He's former chief information officer for the Navy and for the Defense Department. Terry, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What do you think is the culture Pain point for an organization like the Navy when they make a shift like the one from defense in depth to zero trust. Welcome.
2: Yeah, Francis, thank you, and it's good to be on and and good to reconnect with you. Uh, You know, this is not just going to be a Navy problem. Uh, This is going to be a culture problem, and I think almost any culture that's really going to try to go to to zero trust because you you really got to start questioning a little bit about what you've been doing in security in the past. You've got to be more open to having frank dialogue and discussions about your security posture. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll say, this again, you've got to also be willing for, to ask for help more quickly uh, in a zero trust environment. It's kind of funny. We call it zero trust. But in some ways, it, it is saying I'm going to trust, you know, everybody around me that's going to help me when I identify the problem. Uh, when i have those candid conversations and when we bring problems to the table trust that everybody's going to work to solve them you know maybe more than identify fault mm-hmm. uh, and and i think that's that's not a navy unique problem that's a problem i think across most big enterprises when you when you're making it change this its as dramatic as this.
0: What are the building blocks that an organization might have in place or should have in place when they're making a transition to zero trust like this, Terry? You,
2: you know, you and I have talked about this when, but when I was DoD and when I was Don I mean, the the first thing I think that that everybody's got to remember is you still have to have a baseline. I mean, I, I will say this, and again, it is not it is not directed at at the Navy. I think within DOD within the federal government within big enterprise, we still have work to do to get the baseline. Um, and you could call it the basics of cyber security done. I mean, basic patching things that have been known vulnerabilities they that ought to be like set one to get fixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that does have to happen. I think the other thing is to have a culture that shows a leadership at the top is involved. And I applaud the administration right now. I mean, I think it's clear the president, his three key cyber are all listening um, and and taking an active role. Uh, I think within the federal space, we're seeing, you know, the, the key officials, everybody in that whole leadership chain has got to be involved in this and, and got to, they have to not just be involved but it really has to be back to the first question where where they are saying, hey, it's time to come forward with the issues um, where, you know, you're not going to get shot as you bring the issue forward. We're going to work forward. We're not going to ignore that somebody made a mistake, but we're going to work to fix it and identify the right solutions. And then if we repeat the mistake, then maybe that's a different answer. But mm-hmm. but being really candid, I think that's the biggest culture shift is they've got to get everybody be willing to discuss the issues and be a little more open to different solutions. Our security people are really, really good, but I would say sometimes they're a little risk adverse, and, and, and I get, they're in security, they're supposed to be risk adverse, okay. but we've got a lot of new architecture. You know, we're, we're, we're talking a lot today about data fabric. we got a new data fabric. You've got a distributed environment with your data your connection points have multiplied. It's gonna take a bit of a new approach and zero trust will identify that. Now you've gotta be open to the new solutions too. Um,
0: you talked about baselining. What specifically should be baselined and how does one baseline it? What What do you need to know in order to build on top of?
2: Well, first thing you know is what's the condition of your current security posture. And, and, and I generally would say, first thing you know, what's your network posture? Um, that, that's also, I get, again, it's becoming harder to do that because our networks have expanded. We've got more connections than sometimes we know. Uh, so you've got to have a good network posture. You want to know what are your current known vulnerabilities that you haven't fixed. I mean, that's a good place to start is to clear up some of the vulnerabilities. And then I think you have to have an idea of what your architecture actually is going to look like in six months. And I don't think you'd go any further than that, because I think in another six months you're gonna to have to relook at your architecture again. Mm-hmm. And if you do those things, then you can really begin to plan the right journey to a, a trust in, in environment that we're, we're kind of a zero trust environment that we're talking about. Without that, I think if you start that planning, you, you end up with too many gaps mm-hmm. that, that you just didn't count. That you didn't consider enough. And and I this is hard because of the changing environment we're in. I mean, we we tend to sometimes want the environment to be more static than it can be to function. So you've got to keep resetting that baseline while you're moving forward. Um,
0: I went back and looked at a conversation that you and I had on the television show when you were the DOD CIO. That would have been about 2016, I think. And Some of the elements that you were talking about then, even though I don't know that we called them zero trust at the time, were the elements of a zero trust transition. You were talking about what do we do after cat cards? What's the next thing beyond that? What's the next thing beyond zero trust, Terry? What do you see over the horizon? Maybe this is a philosophical question and not even a tactical question, but it strikes me that as fluid as the security environment is in 2022, it's not going to get more static, as you just discussed. And so it strikes me now's the time to start thinking about what comes next. What's your sense of what comes next?
2: I think in the next six months, we're going to see a breakthrough in the set of intelligent tools that can help this not become autonomous, but become more supportive of the analysts and give us a much better continuing picture with, and you and I talked about this, I think it's seen, with being able to have you know, almost a self-securing network to a point, it will actually be able to take its own actions based on conditions we'll set up. I also think we're about to see a better ability to actually see what's on the networks with great improvements in visualization tools around how you can actually see your network. Mm-hmm. And part right. of the problem we have today Unfortunately, there is a lot of data that by the time we've done the analysis to it, it, it's too late. I think today with AI, with a better understanding of our distributed environment, and, and this ties into what happens next after cloud. We should be talking less about cloud today and more about what it means to be in a distributed data fabric environment which includes mainframe, it includes cloud, it includes edge devices, and it includes now what I think is gonna be the the new name for your mobile device. It will become simply an access device. It'll be an access to your data wherever it resides, an access point. That's where we're headed with this distributed environment. And that's gonna take a different model and I think that I think we're getting the tools there that will actually support that model, and be able to give us much more intelligent insight to what we should do, and somewhat be predictive of where the next attacks from. I mean, I, you and I know this: the biggest problem with security, we've been mostly reactive. I think we're about to get the tool sets that will let let us be more predictive.
0: All right, in an environment like you just described. That is as dynamic as it is. How does an organization know whether its zero trust strategy has been successfully implemented and executed? How do you measure the success of that, Terry?
2: Yeah, you know, this is just, this is probably the classic problem of you know how do you measure the fact that you didn't get an attack? Yeah, you know? exactly. I think, but here's what I think. I think you'll measure it today. And today, maybe I should say tomorrow. Let me say you're gonna measure it tomorrow because you're gonna have the visualization tools. They're gonna let you be more predictive about where attacks are coming from. And you're gonna be able to see ahead of time, is your network and, and your whole environment set up to prevent those attacks. I think you will see a much better reliance on real-time simulation that's simulating your attack. And if your scorecard there is good, you'll be good. We haven't to date been able to run what I'll call true real-time simulations across all the aspects of the data fabric we want. That's coming. And I really think you're gonna be able to run that almost continuously in the background in, in another year where you'll be able to see that, how your network is performing in those simulations and be able to make, you know, Almost real time corrections to your to your structure.
0: That's a pretty exciting preview of what's to come, Terry. Thanks for coming on talking about it with me today.
2: This is going to be a super fun time because it's going to combine artificial intelligence, automation, visualization, and now the tools that really let you probe and see your network in real time why it's operating. It's just fun.
0: Great to have you on, my friend. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Have a great rest of the day.
0: You can read more about Zero Trust in the Navy in today's show notes at TheDailyScoopPodcast.com. An app is coming from the Thrift Savings Plan. That app will let you manage your TSP account from your phone or wherever you want to manage it from. Kim Weaver is Director of External Affairs at the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. Welcome, Kim. Thanks for coming on. What's the timeline look like right now for folks to start being able to use that app? Welcome.
3: That. Thank you, Francis. Good to be here. That will be coming this summer.
0: That's This summer is not that far away.
3: Yes, we are working very hard because we realize summer is increasingly approaching quickly.
0: Thank God. Uh, Winter can't be over soon enough. What's been kind of the timeline to get to where you are? What did you have to do behind the scenes to be able to offer this to people?
3: Oh, it's been an an enormous amount of work. We awarded the contract in the November of 2020. And all through 2021, we have been working very closely with the new record keeper to do all the work in the background that allows us to do the the very detailed record keeping that we have to do to keep track of people's money, contributions, PII, all of that work.
0: What kind of functionality will it have? Will it just be the ability for somebody to log in and see what they have and, and maybe adjust funds or will there be other capabilities too?
3: It will be if you log into the app, you will have the ability to do the transfers. If you want to do an interfund transfer, if you want to do any of that sort of thing, you can do that. You will have much greater access through the app to be able to manage your account from, from your device, uh, you know, whatever. And and if you have biometrics native to your phone, it's not our biometrics, yes. at and dad, um, but the biometrics to the phone, you can use that. Um, to log into the app.
0: Yeah, I have that capability with uh, with the financial institutions that I do business with now. It sounds like, uh, and you've said this before, it sounds like you're going for that same capability with the TSP, um, bringing out a live chat function and a lot of other things that are the same things people can do with their other financial institutions.
3: That's exactly right.
0: Um, Another thing that you're working on is a project called Converge. What is Converge and what Where does it stand now? I see there was an update on Converge at the most recent uh, TSP board meeting.
3: So Converge is the record-keeping transfer. What we just discussed is Converge. You have to give it a catchy name. If you're in government, it's apparently required. So Converge is the um, effort. And one of the really big things uh, is that we did um, a test load transfer at the beginning of February and we actually went through the process as if, as if it was going to be the, the live transfer to see how long it takes to make sure that the data went where it was supposed to go to make sure that everything balanced down to the penny. And it did. So we were very, very pleased. And we're going to obviously continue to work on refining that to make sure that when the time comes to go live, and that data needs to transfer, it is It is all there and properly assigned to the right participant.
0: All right. I'm looking at the delivery milestones. Uh, you're going to have an authority to operate, it looks like, within the next couple of days. Uh, business continuity exercise coming in April. Uh, Mid-April, record-keeping data conversion round four performance targets achieved beginning of may and then the go live in mid 2022 what will the end users see because they probably don't care about all that stuff but what will the participant see when she wants to do something with her thrift savings plan account say in june if you hit all these marks
3: uh in june once well whenever we go live yes. the the participant will be able to go and download download the app they will be able to take uh, advantage of the new features in on the new website it'll be an updated refreshed website and so things like being able to sign documents with electronic signatures that is just will be a huge convenience to people and again is Used not, not consistently across the financial world, but it is something that is frequently used. We will be offering that as well. Um, we'll be offering things like rollover assistance. So if you want to roll money into the TSP, which can be a, a labor-intensive thing for the participant because they have multiple steps to do, we'll, we'll provide assistance with that. Um, so all of that will be after go live, it will be available immediately.
0: I'm looking at some of the numbers that, uh, your board saw at this month's board meeting, Kim, and it looks like there are more people than ever and more dollars than ever that will be able to use that new system. I mean, it's just an explosion. It looks like to me.
3: Well, we have 6.5 million participants, um, you know, CSRS uniform services, FERS, and And we have um, uh, beneficiary participants, so spouses of deceased participants. And then we have separated participants. Of that 6.5 million, roughly just just around two million are separated participants. So they're people who have left the government and have retained money in the TSP, which is certainly their option. Um, and And as we anticipated, BRS, which is available to new service members is a driver of the number of accounts because the, the uniform services bring in on average, and this is of course up to them, but on average roughly 200,000 people a year. And that then becomes part of our participant base.
0: Looks like the same kind of, um, staffing labor issues that are affecting the rest of the entire universe are affecting the TSP. But I see here you're bringing a bunch of people on in February and expect to be back on track in March as far as folks uh, contacting the contact center.
3: Yeah, our call centers, the attrition rate is is high. And we are constantly, well, our vendors are constantly um, recruiting, training, and bringing people on but it is not something that it's a one and done. It is a continuous process to make sure they're fully staffed to be able to answer calls promptly.
0: All right. I love awards. There's two things in this space that I love. I love awards and I love big checks. Like the ones that where, <laughs> where you have, make a donation to something and this check is like five feet long and there's one person handed it to another. I always imagine what that's like to show up at, at the bank with that. Yeah. I'd like to deposit this, please. anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I, I digress. Uh, there, there. You've won the Eddie Award twice. What is the Eddie yes. Award? I've never heard of it before.
3: The Pensions and Investments Conference gives out an Eddie Awards, and as the name sounds, pensions and investments focuses on retirement and four hundred one k that world. And we we received two awards for which we're very grateful mm-hmm. um, because these awards mean that we're helping our participants, right? It's, it's gratifying for us, but it's also that means that we're doing well for our participants. Um, the first one was uh, we have a social scientist on staff, and she designs um, – she looks at our data – sees if there's things that we can do to tweak our rules to help people, which is what we did with spillover. We made sure that people didn't have to make double, um, uh, contribution allocate elections. And what it meant was we have a 97% decrease in people missing out on their ability to get matching contributions. Nice. That's huge. Um, and then the second one is to retirement and beyond. And it's a class we, yeah, I know it's a class we teach, um, to participants who are planning to retire within 10 years. And so it addresses all the factors and we taught it last year, 28 times and we reached 18,000 participants and seventy-seven percent of them said it was. They were very satisfied with the webinar. So um, again, we're just trying to make things easier for our participants and um, arm them with the information on how to use their TSP accounts.
0: So I only have two things about to retirement and beyond. <laughs> the first is I hope you don't get a knock on the door. Well, I guess in COVID times you wouldn't. It would just be an email or a Zoom call from some company that's based in Orlando, the mousier company. And then the other thing is what's beyond retirement. Cause when I retire, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm not going anywhere beyond that. So, I, I, so but many I, I, people, the, the name is catchy, Kim. I'll give you that. Yes, the name is catchy. Th-
3: it is. But you know, nowadays, um, retirement is not what it used to be. A lot of people, um, either take different, you know, do different jobs. They do part-time jobs. They keep themselves, um, very active with volunteer work. Um, there is a lot that is other than just golfing and, and looking at the Vista.
0: Okay. Well, all right. I, that's true. That's true. I'll give you that. It's always great to talk to you, my friend. Thanks for coming on.
3: You bet. Thank you, Francis.
0: You can read more about the TSP stats in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Monday, the CIO at FERC, Mattal Desai, is here. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Have a great weekend, and thanks for listening.